Jesus would both whip and Nene. <laughs> the name of the episode. Yes. To the strange and unusual where we discuss the strange and unusual this is episode 11 of our series seeking out the weird the unexplained and the devious from around the world i'm roya and i'm casey and today we are going to give you the lowdown on our own spooks and experiences as well as telling you a little bit more about ourselves and our families so That's i don't lame. know about <laughs> it's, not, it's not lame it's solid it's solid. It's just not, it's not funny, but it's, it's not funny. It gets the point across. It this do. part is funny, though. It do. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about your, your family. I know a little bit about your family history. You know a little bit about my family history. And, uh, so, I, I don't know what to explain my family history as. I, I think that my mom's side of the family and my grandfather, her, her father and uh, her mother, at least, mm-hmm. were some, some level of uh, sensitive to the supernatural or things that are abnormal. Yeah. I don't know if, like wherever you fall on the spectrum of a a believer or not, um, as far as listeners go, I can only account for what I've been told by my mom and what I have experienced myself. Same. So, I mean, obviously there's a lot of, it could have been this, it could have been that we weren't exactly in a mindset to, experiment and try to figure out try to debunk our experiences a lot of this happened long before ghost hunters or anything like that was on tv Mm -hmm. so we were just kind of dealing with our experiences as they came and in a way i'm sure that will become consistent through my stories everyone just sort of ignored what was happening until someone else brings it up (laughs) (laughs) And then then we talk about it, and then we all realize, oh, wait, you had that experience? You saw that thing, too? That's super weird, because I've been seeing that thing for months. Like, that happens a lot in the family stories that I will be sharing. What about you? Um, Mine, you know that little kid in the sixth sense where he looks at the gun and he goes, I see. Yeah. That, like, that's me. Oh. Not always. Um, sometimes I don't see things, but I can get a feeling off of things. I, yeah. I, 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 I feel similarly to that. I used to see things a lot more. Yeah. And now I, I just get feelings. I just get vibes. Oh, I mean. In places. I've seen things fairly recently, but, I mean, my husband and I got married in a cemetery. We are... We are into the spooks. <laughs> um, yeah. And, I, and I've always sort of felt sensitive to that, but I didn't make anything of that until my mom pointed it out when I was a kid. 
And ever since, it's kind of been like, oh, that, I mean, that could have been a coincidence. Okay, never mind. You know, like, you know, I am somebody who, because I've experienced that, I have a belief system where that fits in. Yeah. But I understand the skepticism and I, I 100% get why people don't when they don't experience those things. Um, my mom has had experiences she told me about since, um, you know, she was the one who pointed it out at me. Uh, my grandmother has mentioned things. Um, and one of the, one of the other things, like my dad always took us to, um, these Iroquois powwows because I lived in upstate New York. They would have like the Mohawk and... Gosh, there was another one that was always there. I had to look at the nations now because I'm an asshole and I don't remember. But they had a lot of, like, storytellers there. And I feel like a lot of that um, spiritualism sort of sunk into my my psyche. And, like, that's who, that's, like, how I, I just felt comfortable in those situations. So nothing has ever scared me. With the exception of one thing that I'll talk about later. Um, because I've always just felt like, oh, that's a comfortable thing. This happens to people. Yeah. Yeah, I think that um, my my mom was never big into trying to force religion on me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that she felt very strongly that a forced religion, if you force religion onto somebody and don't give them the opportunity to look into things themselves and to learn about things themselves, then they are not really of that faith. They've been forced into the faith. They've not chosen to be in that faith. And so mom always encouraged me to go out, to learn, to research, to investigate other religions and other belief systems and find if there's something that fits me mm. that I I can have faith in and believe in. And so I think that a lot of my open-mindedness um, stems from, from her not forcing opinions on me, letting me form my own opinions and mm-hmm. just, you know, having adult conversations with me and, you know, opening the dialogue and saying like, yeah, these are things like this is, there are other religions aside from Christianity. Your dad was raised Islamic. You know, he was raised Muslim. He, I was raised, well, mom herself decided that she was going to go to church because it was the only thing that made sense to her in her very tumultuous childhood. It was a escape. Mm-hmm. Um, she did not enjoy Catholicism. She tried that out briefly, and that was not for her. But uh, it was a way for her to find solace and to believe in something, that there was something better than what was happening to her at home. And uh, she would take my her two younger brothers with her to go and, you know, find solace and have peace and things. And she was never, as she aged and, you know, into adulthood, she didn't really go to church much. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I asked her about that one time because my grandmother became born again and had never been a Christian at all, never followed, never went to church, never did any of it. And then, you know, when she hit probably her 50s or 60s, was like, okay, maybe church now because I don't know how much longer I'm going to be alive and I need to make peace with my maker or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. And um, I always asked, I asked her one time because my grandmother asked if we wanted to go to church with her. And I said I didn't. And, you know, mom brought it to me. I didn't tell my grandmother no. But mom brought it to me and said, grandma asked us to do this thing. And I said, you know, like, I'll go if I have to, but I don't really want to. And mom said, that's fine, because she didn't really want to either. And I asked her, you know, like, but I thought, you you used to go to church as a kid. Like, why don't you want to go to church now? And she said, basically, that as she aged, she didn't see the point of church. Church is just a building. And she yes. was like, I don't, I don't have to be in those four walls to have faith, to pray, to believe in God. She would rather do that somewhere else she didn't like how churches were being ran now she didn't like the idea of these like mega churches and stuff like that that were not helping not doing what they not doing christian things the kind of places where you know if jesus walked in he'd start flipping tables yeah and whipping people like (laughs) and um jesus would both whip and nay nay the name of the episode. Yes. But, yeah, mom never made us do anything we didn't want to do. My brother dated a girl um, in high school. Very long time. Very long, steady relationship. And I remember her parents would make her go to church every Sunday. And mm-hmm. she hated it. And the first thing she did was when she was out on her own was not go to church ever again. And, you know, mom didn't want us to feel like we didn't have an option, that we didn't have a choice that we could make on what and who we wanted to be. That is actually very similar to what my mom did. Um, she told me when I was born, she did not have me... Um, baptized she had me dedicated which I didn't know was a thing and I don't know how much of a thing that really is but she said she dedicated me to God and uh, gave me the freedom to do whatever I wanted to do because she trusted that I would make the right choices given my own power to do so yeah um and what's really interesting is for the first several years of my life I loved going to church it was fun I went to a Presbyterian church so there was a lot of music and a lot of um like we did little plays and things so it was a very if you all don't know me I was a musical theater major I have to give that to the church like they definitely fired that passion in me um to do that because I I can remember very vividly being told by the um the lady who ran the choir you all need to be louder like Casey <laughs> like, 
And my mom and I sang together a lot just in the car and things like that. So getting an outlet when you're young in a rural area where there's not a lot to do, the church gave me a lot of outlet. Um, And it wasn't until my dad died that I broke away from that. And it was like waking up and going, I'm going because I like this part of it. Like the religion thing wasn't it like I liked being smart. I liked knowing like about religion, but I didn't feel a connection to the church in a faithful way as much as I did a this is fun. I like to go here. My friends are there kind of way. Yeah, I as a kid literally only went to church quote church uh in the summer for vacation bible school vacation bible school and that's because my friends went yep and like i went to you know it was like my friend across the street my two friends across the street um one of their moms would you know like every year would kind of go around to all the that group of friends parents and say hey my church is getting ready to do this thing if any of your kids want to go, like, let me know. And we would just go over to his house and, like, all get in his mom's van. And she would take us to vacation Bible school and we would do the thing. But I remember loving everything about it but not understanding how people believed in the Bible. <laughs> like, because I was looking, I would just read things and I would just be like, this doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a, even at probably five, six, seven years old, reading the story, reading the story of Noah, reading, you know, Jonah and the whale, and being like, this is impossible. Jonah and the, like, I watched Jonah and the whale, it was called Pinocchio. Like, (laughs) what is this? No, it just didn't make sense to me. Even at that age, I had a hard time understanding how these adults around me were having such strong belief that it was like altering their decisions and it was influencing what they did and how they felt and how they spoke and what they did Mm -hmm. and just being even six seven years old and just being like this is weird like this this isn't for me I can't blindly follow something like this Well, what's interesting is, I think, unfortunately, for the church, it, (laughs) like, ignited my passion in theater. But I think it also made me, like, a super feminist. (laughs) Because all I can remember about going to summer vacation, it was, like, a Bible school vacation, not vacation Bible school. Um, But it was, like, a camp that you'd go to, like, a day camp. And, um... I can remember just being like, dude, Esther is super fucking badass. I only want to read about women in the Bible. And they were like, well, there's only two books. And I was like, well, fuck, those are the only two books I want to read in the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) And it's funny because to this day, it's like, I don't really get into video games where I have to play a male character. Like, yeah, I have a hard time with that, too. I'm actually playing The Witcher right now, and it's pretty good. But I also know there are a lot of badass women in The Witcher, so it helps. But, yeah, it's always been like that. And I like I, I joke, I blame the church for me being a feminist. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, but yeah, so uh, my dad was actually the one who took me uh, to the Presbyterian Church a lot. The my dad took me there with his um, with our family friends, and they were our babysitters. Um, so um, it really got me. I think the Presbyterian Church in particular that I went to was very. Um, I don't. I was a little kid, so I don't remember like a lot of adults being nasty to each other. I remember there were potlucks and people would invite you to these things. And I just remember that's intense. I just remember a lot of community. And I think that's what church provides to a lot of people less so than a relationship with God, because you don't need the building to have that as, as your mom pointed out, like, you yeah. can have a relationship with God and not need to be in a pew. Unless you're Catholic and then he keeps attendance. <laughs> Bueller. Yeah, my mom my mom was not such a fan of the Catholic Church. And there was a, a church in, not to like triangulate my location, <laughs> but there was a church that my grandmother went to and basically if my grandmother asked my mom to go to church with her she would Mm -hmm. Um, and it was a Sunday school and my mom I can't the the woman the the woman running the Sunday school class basically said something to the effect of like Muslims regardless of decisions or any sort of regardless of how they live their life are going to go to hell because they're this inferior blah 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 blah. and my mom just had a moment where she was just like no don't say anything and then met eyes with a woman who was in the Sunday school class that mom knew outside of the Sunday school class who was this like spitfire old lady one of those like little old ladies that realize like i'm 75 years old and no one's gonna tell me what the fuck to do anymore Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. (laughs) and she just looked at mom and she just went do it (laughs) and mom stood up and just tore that uh, bible school teacher to shreds i love it because mom Mom did her research. When Mm -hmm. mom was starting to date my dad, she read the Quran. She read the Torah. She read all of the the religious texts that she could get her hands on because she wanted to be educated for exactly that situation. Mm -hmm. Because there was one thing that my mom would never stand for, and that was allowing someone around her to tear other people down for no reason that made sense they hadn't done anything to her they weren't going to do anything to her and they that sunday school teacher just picked the wrong sunday school class to say that to yeah well i mean that's where you get it from then obviously yeah so we know our relationships with religion now and so does the world (laughs) (laughs) this is like the episode that should be uh the things you don't talk about on the first date (laughs) it's like uh, so religion politics i don't want kids yeah 
I mean, I wouldn't mind telling somebody I don't want kids on the first date. Like, you gotta tell them early. Yeah, I think I told Jari on the first first or second date. I don't even know if it was on date. It might have just been us, like, still talking. But I was very upfront about that, yeah. And I feel like the podcast listeners already know our politics. Hashtag eat like... the rich. <laughs> that one's for you, Jordan. That's my politics. <laughs> it's keep time for guillotine. Of, keep, Let's go. Keep men out of my uterus. Eat the rich. And eat the rich, yeah. Um, so what about your relationships with the, the spook spooks? The spook spooks. Okay. Um, well, y'all probably heard me. I've been living in the South for too long. I just said y'all. Okay. Um, you all probably heard me talk about <laughs> oh my, my, <laughs> my father. Uppity Northeasterner. Well, oh well. Uh, <laughs> speaking about my father in the past tense, um, he passed away when I was nine years old. Um, I remember very vividly. Um, this was in the time I was I was a poor kid, and this was in the time like we didn't have long distance because that wasn't a thing that you just had on a phone constantly. So my mom. Isn't that so crazy? I know. It's like one of those one of those things that like kids after our generation aren't gonna understand. Yeah, I, I mean, mean a slew of other things, but like I hadn't thought about the fact that 15, 20 years ago, long distance calls weren't a thing you could just do. Yeah, and like, well, I can't wait for somebody to ask me, "Why do you say hang up the phone?" Oh yeah, like. Anyway, so we had to get one of those, um, like, cards that you paid for, and you called a 1-800 number. Yeah. Um, and then you could dial out and be long distance and pay for it that way. So um, I had to borrow that card to call my dad because my parents had separated. And I just, it was like a Wednesday night. I had no earthly reason to call him because I only saw him every other weekend. And it was not a good situation um, in that regard. But I remember thinking, I have to call him. And my mom gave me the card and I called my dad. And all I wanted to tell him was that I loved him. And so we hung up. I went to bed and my mom woke me up the next morning at like five o'clock and said that she got a phone call from my Aunt Jenny saying that my dad had passed away. And so she came in and the, the, the conversation was like, Hey case, you, uh, you know how your dad was really sick. And I looked up at my mom and I went, he's dead, isn't he? (laughs) Like, like the scary kid in the fucking horror movies. I'm sure. (laughs) And then she was just like, the shit out of your mom. She was, she was just like, yeah, hon, he passed away last night. And I was like, do I have to go to school today? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, kids, I 100% believe, probably because of their lack of being jaded old fucks, uh, I feel like are a lot more sensitive to to that sort of world. And I, I 100% think that that was a real 
instinct that I had. And what was funny was later my mom told me that she had had a dream the night before where my grandfather, who had passed away six months earlier, was driving by in his van and he waved to her out the window and my my dad was in the, the passenger seat waving at her. So I think about that, like that is likely a sort of connection that my mom and I had. Yeah. That, you know, that was saying, hey, my grandfather was like, I got this. We're good. You just keep on yeah. going. And so to hear that she had a an, a dream that that was to come also was it was a little like family spooks. The family that spooks together <laughs> does other things together, I guess. Sometimes, Sometimes. on occasion, <laughs> when we're in the same state. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's one of my stories. I have, uh, I have another one. Like when uh, AJ's mom, my husband's mother, uh, before we were married. She was diagnosed with cancer and it was bad. It was everywhere. And so she was on hospice at the house and they, uh, they were like, Oh, we we could probably get another five years out of her. It'll be fine. And then it just went downhill really, really fast. So she's on hospice. She's in her bedroom and we are, just we go in there to eat dinner with her when she was still lucid and we'd walk in and this one time I went in she called for me I remember walking in as being like nope nope I'm not allowed in here and I had just like tears flooding down my face for no fucking reason and I like stepped out of the room like nope somebody's here who wants this moment with Kathy alone and it didn't feel like a get the fuck out I'm an evil like feeling it was just like a no this is my time, please leave sort of deal. But it was very, very distinct. And I was like, holy shit, that was intense. And it must have been somebody from AJ's family because his sister was in there without any issue. So either she's not very sensitive to those things or it was fine because she was family. Yeah, and you weren't yet. Yeah. And I just felt, it felt very, um, I I can't think of a word. Uh, it felt almost like walking into a wall of just no. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that like a lot of people can recall a moment where they went into a room and they just felt that they weren't wanted in that room. Like even with just people mm-hmm. in there, you just walk in, you're like, oh, this is not... I came in too early and ruined something or like this is awkward because they weren't expecting me to show up or things like that. And so I think everyone can kind of understand like a, a real tangible experience that everyone has probably had that would probably be similar to that. Just like, Oh, I'm not supposed to be in here. I don't know why, but I'm not supposed to be, so I'm going to leave now. Bye. <laughs> One of the other things that happened while um, AJ's mom was on hospice was I remember getting up to leave for work one day. 
I might have told you about this after it happened. Um, I went to my car and I had pulled into the driveway so I had to back out and I looked up in my rear view and put the car in reverse. No, I, I, so wait. I turned on the car. I put. I looked up in the rear view. I hope you turned on the car. Yeah. And I looked in the rear view and there was a guy walking down the street that I had never seen before. And all the neighbors were fairly routine and I kind of knew who everybody was and what house they lived in. And so look up in the rear view <laughs> and see this guy walking by. No idea who he was. So I look down and I put the car in reverse and I think, all right, whatever. By the time I get to the end of the driveway, he'll be gone and I can just pull out of the driveway. And <laughs> son of a bitch. And uh, when I get to the end of the driveway, I look left and right like I'm going to pull out into the street and he was gone. I thought, well, that's fucking weird. He must have gone into one of the houses next door and I didn't see it. Because there's no way that that guy moved that fucking fast that he's now no longer in my sights. Uh, so later on, I'm describing this situation and I'm trying to figure out who this guy is and where he lives um, to AJ and his sister. I said, yeah, he had like, um, he was wearing a red flannel jacket and blue like Dickie's work pants. You know, like those very specific kinds of pants that men wear to like uh mechanic jobs and things like that yeah and boots and Lori looks at me and she says did he have a beard and i went yeah i think so and she said i think you saw my dad now yeah, what the weird thing is, I'd seen pictures of their dad, and no, I didn't see this person walking face on, but I didn't recognize him, and I apparently described what he wore to work every day to a T, and, you know, it was a little like, oh, that's sad he's still wearing his work clothes, but the man worked high power lines for our electrical company out here, and he loved his job. So it wasn't super surprising to find that he was in his work clothes. Um, and I had never met him because he had passed away 13 years prior or no, when AJ was 13. And so it was, gosh, we were 20, I was 23 when all this was happened, 24. So it was... Actually, it would have been 13 years earlier. So, yeah, the the idea of seeing things when people are dying, I feel like there's certainly a an idea that the veil is more open at that time for people to pass through and people are coming to try to help their loved ones to the other side. I also think that there's like an emotional vulnerability too, like you're you're more open because yes. You know, you're you're going through so much that you can't focus on ignoring things, which is weird. But, like, I feel like that's a, a normal human state is just sort of, like, going through the motions, doing what you need to do, and not always paying attention to what's going on on the sidelines of things. Yeah. And so when your your mind is pulled in so many different directions, I think that it opens you up 
to seeing further, seeing more than you mm-hmm. normally would because you're not focused on one specific thing because you're being pulled every direction. I agree with that. And I think that that's an absolutely uh, a valid uh, explanation. Uh, the fact that I could vividly describe what their dad wore to work every day was just sort of like coincidence could literally anybody's dad wear that exact outfit to work every day yes whatever (laughs) but she was she was very close to the end of her days at this point so yeah it just felt um it it felt super real so yeah i mean We'll get into a couple of lost stories of mine, too, and I I definitely agree with that Well, go ahead. Tell me some of yours. Well, so mine all kind of run in tandem with one another because, so like I said at the beginning of the episode, I don't know what my family would classify as I would say like no one in my family has ever said or admitted that they consistently see things or that they can turn you know like open up themselves to experiences and have things happen Mm -hmm. I think more so it's that if there is something in the house, in the area where we have been, it finds us and is trying to show us something or trying to find comfort in someone being able to acknowledge, yes, I see you. I'm also going to bed and ignoring you because this is weird. Like, (laughs) as you do. So my, um, to, to start at the beginning of my family, what, what I know that has happened in my family. So my mother is, was one of five. Uh, she was the middle child, only daughter, two older brothers, two younger brothers, in a very tumultuous, abusive family. And not to say that there weren't good times and there weren't worse times, but my mom always said that she and her family lived in a house that she likened to Amityville in level level of haunted. And that... No one in her family had ever really talked about believing in supernatural or ghosts or spirits or anything like that. And that they never really talked about it again after that, after leaving the house. But she said that there was, without a doubt, everyone in the house experienced something to some degree uh, to the point that my grandfather and grandmother, who could not have afforded to break a lease and move, broke a lease and moved. Hmm. So, 
they basically moved in to this house. Um, and if memory serves, uh, no, I don't want to, because there were two houses that she always talked about. One of them she lived in was the first house in Oklahoma, in the Oklahoma Territory, that had been owned outright by an Indian woman. Mm. Uh, Like, that house, that property was the first property in the Oklahoma Territory that a Native woman owned. And um, the house was still very similar to how it had been, but obviously updated and, you know, brought up to the standards of living of the time. But um, I can't remember if that was the haunted one or if that was the one that's actually closer to where I live. But either way, um, so they moved into this house and mom said it was such a big deal because there were so many bedrooms, which was a problem when you have seven people in a house. Mm -hmm. So pretty much mom would get her own room because she was the only girl. And then my grandparents would have their own room because they're an adult couple. And then the, sometimes all of the boys had to share a room when they were younger, the younger brothers would stay with mom in her room. And then, you know, this house I think had a room for her, a room for my, her two younger brothers to share and then a room each for her two older brothers, and then a room for her parents. So that would have been one, two, three, four, five bedrooms, mm-hmm. and which was a big deal to find something like that, and within their budget, and all of these things. And it had extra space. Mm-hmm. The downside was that the extra space that they found had been sealed off. Um, oh. It had been nailed shut and left alone. That's a nope zone. That's what I like to yeah. call the nope zone. <laughs> <laughs> and so my my grandfather was, I mean, unspookable. He was not a man. I never met him. He, he passed away before he met any of his grandchildren, the, a year before his first grandson was born. And, uh, but everything that my mom and my grandmother have told me about him. He was not someone who was going to scare easily. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in World War II. He enlisted when he was 16. He lied on his enlistment papers. Um, and he was in the, the Japanese, the Eastern Theater. So he was there and he was Navy. And he was actually one of the men who were like, navigating the boats into the Japanese caves. Hmm. So my grandfather saw some shit. (laughs) Like for real things that full ass a grown men couldn't deal with and he's 16 trying to deal with it. Mm -hmm. He would never talk about the war. Mom never knew what exactly he saw because he would never talk about it. It was just it was that hard for him. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so not an easy man to intimidate. He sees this boarded up room and he's like, oh, that's weird. And then unboards it and opens it, turns it into a sewing room for my mom and grandmother. 
And that's when everything starts happening. Because it's like a horror movie, right? Mm-hmm. So it starts off, um, the house starts shaking at night wow. really violently, like the whole house. Mom says it just felt like it was going to fall down around them a couple of times. Um, my grandmother would wake up and see a man standing at the foot of the bed night after night, like a shadow man. Um, they had a piano in the front room, uh, and my grandfather had dentures, and he would uh, top, He only had top dentures, at, at least at this time. And he would take the dentures out and put them in the water and put them on the piano, and then like go upstairs and go to bed. For whatever reason, that was just his habit. And he came downstairs one morning... And the dentures had been knocked off of the piano, and which isn't that weird. But my grandfather was missing two particular teeth from before he had dentures. Mm-hmm. And those exact teeth had been knocked out of the dentures. What? Um, he said that there was a point in time where he was sitting in a chair in the living room watching TV. And the glass that was on his side table of water or whatever he was drinking picked up off of the table and moved across the room and sat down on the coffee table. So what does my grandpa do? Gets up, gets his drink, puts it back on the side table, <laughs> and goes no, back to watch No, ghosts are gonna fuck with me. Yeah, like, we're not, we're done here. This isn't a, a thing no, that we're not playing with. this game. Yeah. And, um, but it seemed to really focus on mom. Hmm. So mom was in the, it was like a finished attic room. And that's what her room was. Mm-hmm. She was really excited about it because it was a lot of space. It was a lot more space than she had ever had. And attic rooms are always kind of cool. Like, I don't know a girl that was, she was probably... I don't know, between, like, 10 and 14, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Like, every girl I knew wanted an attic room. Like, they wanted, like, oh, the angles. Oh, a reading nook. Like, <laughs> oh, this crap. You know, like, every every person I knew, like, around that age would have loved to have that sort of a room. Like, a whole floor that's all to you. Yep. And so it was fine until they opened that sewing room door and then mom started it would get really cold up there like ice box cold which didn't make sense it doesn't make sense in Oklahoma for the highest point of your house to be cold mm-hmm. in summer that's not going to be a thing that happens they didn't have air conditioning that doesn't happen <laughs> that should have been the hottest room in the house and it had floral wallpaper on all of the walls, like an antique, like damask style. Mm-hmm. And mom said that she would be reading or something and then look up and the flowers had all moved. And it wasn't like there's that uh, matrixing effect where we 
try to find patterns of faces in things because we're humans and we're mm-hmm. narcissists. And if you look at a floral wallpaper long enough, you'll start to see faces in it. It's just a natural human thing that happens. So I pointed that out to mom when we were talking about it. And she said, no, Roy, you don't understand. The flowers moved from where they were to a central location. And that's where they would make a face. And the wall, the wallpaper around that face would be bare because the flowers had all moved to make that face. And she said that was the beginning of like, okay, this shit is really, really scary. I don't understand what's happening. I don't like it. I don't want to be here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and she said that it was like faces. It wasn't like normal. It was like faces screaming. It was like faces of monsters. It was scary. And one of the things that was the final straw was um, mom woke up screaming one night. And her mom and dad came up to the attic to see what was going on. And she was literally holding onto the walls of her bedroom with her, like, lower torso and legs hanging out of the bedroom window off of her bed. Like, and the blankets are halfway out the window. And she's literally holding on for, like, fingers digging into the wood frame holding on for her life to not be flung out from a third story window. And they grab her and they pull her in and they, there's no one out there. There's no way someone could have been out there to maneuver her how she had been. Mm. It's not a natural state of like, had she been sneaking out, that's not how she would, you know, you don't go horizontally out the window if you're going to sneak out there. Like there was no rhyme or reason to how she had been pulled out of that window other than something otherworldly had done it. Nope. And so that Don't was, like that. that was the final, yeah, that was the, the final nail in the coffin for that house. And they moved, they found another place and moved out. Um, and then after that, it got rented or sold. I can't remember to, I think it was sold to a couple and they were in there. And this has all happened in like the span of, uh, maybe two months all of this has been ha- and, and additional things I don't even remember oh yeah my grandpa heard the piano playing in the middle of the night and came downstairs to yell at my mom because my mom was the only one who knew how to play piano and no one's playing the piano and then as soon as he like goes to say like Carla the keys all stop and then it slams shut so that also happened I forgot Say anytime I hear about a piano in a haunted house, it's like the first thing I think of. It's like that fucking piano is gonna play itself. <laughs> yeah, well, and it was their piano they brought. It wasn't a piano oh, that was okay. like in the house. It was their family piano. Still. Yeah, so it wasn't like the piano was the yeah, but it was just like a vessel, an easy vessel for a spirit to manipulate. And uh, and there were other things that like mom couldn't even remember anymore that had happened like it was an ongoing every day something was happening and it was consistently escalating to the point where okay it's attacking one it's literally attacking one of our children now we can't be here anymore so the people who owned the house sold it and then the people who bought it mom said that they probably lived there like two weeks and had it completely leveled the house is still there's still nothing on the lot 
It's 100% empty. Still to this day. Interesting. So. You ever, like, hear those yeah, stories and be like, mean, I want to go there. <laughs> it's like the first thought I had was, I want to go there. <laughs> we had driven past it a few times. It's like, mom would always like to, like, take a ride around town and like show all of the houses like anytime I had a new friend or when Jari and I got together she insisted on dad taking us on a tour of all of the places that she had lived and like we drove past that lot and uh, we drove past that lot and she kind of talked about it a little bit and it's just it still gives a creepy it still feels weird there like, I obviously did never have any experiences, but for someone in the, you know, early early to mid-1960s to just be like, nope, fuck this house, burn it down. Like, <laughs> especially the, the town I live in was, was such a boom town. Of, it was, like, really bustling. It was really getting populated and big because of oil in the area and things like that. So the idea that someone would just go in and be like, nope, fuck that house. Like, it's, no one can live there ever again. <laughs> like, they had to have had a even worse experience than, than my, my family did. Mm-hmm. I have not had a haunted house situation. But I'm, I'm also one of those people, I'm like, I'm desperate to go to one of those haunted B&Bs, though. Because <laughs> of my sensitivity. Like, I want to do that. I mean, you're not too far away from the Lizzie Borden house. Isn't that like There's in Massachusetts? That's that's kind of far away. Yeah, but you're not that far away. I'm saying like I'm further away. I mean, yes, but <sighs> maybe maybe we'll go together someday and we'll do a podcast <laughs> about it. That'd be cool. Okay, so that was the oh my my uncle would see a man walking around downtown where I live like this just big burly dude carrying an axe and he would just like be there and then not be there when my uncle would turn around and look mom always kind of thinks that it was just his imagination getting away with him um but he was very adamant that he saw it so Mm. it got to the point where she was like okay maybe like, who am I to say he didn't see it? But right. I also kind of don't believe he saw it. <laughs> but so then my oh, so I guess mom decided, mom got convinced to play Ouija board with a friend of hers. That's a bad idea. Um, Yeah. And mom had the wherewithal to be like, not in my house, we'll go to your house and play with the Ouija board. But mom was an adult. Mom was in her her 20s at that point. I think they were in college and uh, in Atlanta. And um, she, they were getting all sorts of like weird messages from people and things and whoever. And, uh, it came up and I can't remember what she said the lead in question for her was, 
but it was something along the lines of like, does anyone have something to tell me? Like me specifically. And it started to spell out, uh, someone near to you will die soon. And uh, she was like, oh, that's super ominous. Great. <laughs> and okay, cool, 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 cool. And she asked, who, who does this information come from? And it spelled out, and she at the time did not know who this was, but looked into it later. Spelled out Nostradamus. What? Mom had, and her friend, no fucking clue who Nostradamus was. Like, they went to the library and researched it. Because that was a Friday, and on Sunday, Mom got a call saying that her father had passed away. He had had a heart attack on the front porch of his house and died. The same weekend that she had gotten the message from Nostradamus on a Ouija board saying someone near to you will die soon. And so, you know, she and dad pack up and go home for the funeral and everything. But, and I mean, it wasn't, my my grandfather passed away very early. He was, I want to say 50 or like under, under 55. Um, But he had been like three packs a day smoker and he worked for a zinc like mining and manufacturing company so it kind of made sense that he would die of a heart condition mm-hmm. and die young unfortunately and it was sad because he he wanted very badly to meet his grandchildren he passed away like less than a year before my oldest cousin was born to meet him so that was unfortunate, but we used to live in my family and I used to live in Virginia. I feel like I'm taking over this podcast. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, have I have another one I can throw like... in if you really want to hear another one from me. Well, do you really want to hear more from me? Like, that's what we're here for. Oh, we're here for me. Okay. No, we're here for us to talk, so... and so. <laughs> yeah, but I've got a lot, so I feel like I'm just like dominating everything. But uh, maybe you're into that. I don't know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I, we we lived in Virginia, my my family and I, um, and then my mother, father, and I moved from Virginia to Oklahoma, where my family was, um, due to some unfortunate situations in Virginia about like dad running a convenience store and basically dad was running a convenience store. He got robbed really badly. Um, and he testified against the people and got the people who had robbed him put in jail, but then their family was coming after him. And so we basically, when we moved from Virginia to Oklahoma, it was partially out of fear for our lives. I didn't know. I was like nine. So they didn't tell me any of that until I kind of figured it out when I got older. Um, but that was part of the move reason was out of fear that there would be an actual retaliation mm-hmm. and that they would find out where he lived. And so moved out to Oklahoma. We got a um, house. Ah, we lived with my grandmother for a little while, and then we found a house 
and the house is like brand new. So the only thing that I can think of as far as what we experienced there and why we did is either that it was something, like I said, something nearby that Mm -hmm. found us or something that was attached to the land and property that we were on because there's no way it could have been attached to the house because the ho- we were like the second people to own the house. No one had died in the house. No turmoil in the house. Nothing had happened. It was still new. And um, so we would see, um, I would see a, a small light go across one of the window or one of the windows, one of the walls in what is the computer room that I spent a lot of time in getting to know Casey online. We and were bad kids. I would be up way too late and I would get like a cold chill sensation, which I still to this day consistently will get in different situations. And I would turn around and there would be a little light that would go along the back wall of the computer room and then I would see it there was it was like a I don't know I think they're called Jack and Jill's where it's like two bedrooms with a connecting bathroom yes I always called it a Brady Bunch yep yep Um, (laughs) but like my (laughs) my room was on one side and then there was a bathroom connecting on one side and then a hallway connecting on the other and both had a door into the computer room so I had like a little suite basically and um, so I would see it go from across the wall and then underneath the bathroom door and then disappear behind the couch. Now, there is a window in that room. but The window was almost like one of the like a basement style window where it was like a half window that was really high up on the wall. And it was the only one in there. So at that time, it was around the time when like ghost hunter shows and stuff like that were starting to happen and so I would pay attention whenever I would see the little light Mm -hmm. there weren't any cars on the street there was no way it was a reflection even if there had been cars on the street the window was way too high for the light to have come through like this would have been over the top of any sort of sedan height wise Mm -hmm. and the wall and so there was no way it was a car light And then a couple of times I would see like a big dark shadow figure in the doorway to the hall. And my response to all of these things was, okay, time for me to go to bed. I must be tired. (laughs) And I would just go through and go lay down, go to sleep. Um, We also had, I would have the sensation of feeling in my bed, like someone was tucking me in really tight sometimes. Like uncomfortably tight? Not uncomfortably, like, I felt like I could still move around, but, like, tighter than I've ever been tucked in before. Hmm. Like, unnecessarily tight. Okay. Um, and then we had, so the, the doors on the bathroom were pocket doors, the kind that slide into the wall. Mm-hmm. And I would always sleep with them shut because I didn't like having open doors um, at that time. Now it doesn't bother me as much, but... I, I wanted to be one of, I either wanted to be shut or open. I don't care which, but it needs to be one of those two. <laughs> and so. Is there um, a third option? Was, well, like to have it like partially open or partially closed. You know what I mean? Like where it's a little bit open still. 
Isn't that still open? I mean, like, all the way open where you, you need can, it, like, like, see in the hall. You need it, completely open. Okay, I gotcha. Or, or like, so far close. Like, we keep our doors still, like, partially open where the cats can and Roxy can get through, like, in and out. But mm. when you're laying in bed, it looks closed. Like, you can't see in the hallway. Got it. So I either want to be able to see in or not be able to see in. But I don't like the halfway able to see through. <laughs> it's, I don't know, really specific, I guess. Um, but I was sleeping with the bathroom doors closed and there's these little flimsy pocket doors. And one night I woke up and the doors just like violently shake. Like two people are, or like a person is on either side, like bouncing it back and forth, shaking. Only happened one time. None of the other doors were having any problems. So it wasn't a pressure situation in the house unless somehow the pressure vacuum was on that one door Mm-hmm. And not the other two doors that were directly around me as well. And we did get a uh, the sweet little poodle we had there. And when we first got her, she would go to the... She would not go in the computer room if there wasn't another dog or another human in there. And when we first got her, she would go to the threshold of the door and bark into it. Huh. Like aggressively barking into it. Not like a confused or an excited bark. Like a what the fuck? I don't know. This is not supposed to be here. I don't like it bark. Hmm. And uh, and after a while it kind of that kind of calmed down with her. Um, but she still never really would go into that room if there wasn't another living creature in there with her. And mom also saw the orb in the shadow in the doorway too. Yeah. And that's where we started talking about like, okay, you've seen those things. Me too. Have you seen anything else? And that's where I found out about the haunted house that she lived in. Um, my grandmother's house, she lived really close. Like mom intentionally got a house that was like nearby to my grandmother because that's where she wanted to be. But it was still like far enough away that we didn't like, have to drive past her house to get home or something like we're in the they were like two minutes away from one another so in like the same kind of area but far enough away that like neither one of them are in one another's business Mm -hmm. and so my uncle was over um one time and saw uh the second youngest son and saw this old man walk across my grandma's front yard. And then my grandma had a big maple tree in her front yard. It was a maple. And this guy, like, walked across, was, like, and grandma also had, like, this giant picture window in the front of her house, too. And my uncle is watching this guy who is just like literally staring directly into grandma's house as he's walking. He's an older dude. Like uncle described him like wearing a, like a three piece suit looked nice, clean, didn't look creepy except for the fact that he was like staring into grandma's house. Mm-hmm. And then my uncle Alan was just like, all right, that's all fucking cool. And went outside to like confront this dude and be like why are you looking at my mom's house you creep and couldn't find him he wasn't there and so 
he goes inside and he's just like, I know I saw a dude. Like, I know I saw somebody. I don't understand what happened. And he's talking about it kind of to himself and mom overhears him and says like, oh, did you see that old guy too? And they're like, okay, what? And she's like, yeah, I see him every once in a while. He just walks across mom's yard, goes behind this maple tree and is gone. I've Hmm. tried to like go out and say something to him and like, he's not there. So I don't know. Neither one of them recognized him as being someone in her that was in my grandmother's life or anything. And uh, they decide at that point to bring it up to my grandma. And grandma goes, oh, George? And they're like, who? Who? <laughs> and she said, well, she said, I, I don't know that that's his name. That's just what I call him. Like, it's just a name that I felt goes with him. And yeah, she said she had been seeing him for years, just like walking in her front yard, just the same path every time, every so often. And she's like, oh, there's George again. And they would see him every once in a while for years after that, too. Never did anything, never felt like creepy or weird or just like a dude probably going on a walk that he had gone on, you know, for years when he was alive nearing the end of my stories okay i'm liking it it's not unenjoyable when so my mom had a oh wait no before that so my dad had a pizza shop in our mall and i was a mall rat as many of us were i think Mm. and i would go and sometimes Um, he would give me a ride home instead of mom or one of my friends because he was already there. And so I just had to wait a little while for him to close up and uh, head home. And one time I was sitting there like in the food court outside of his restaurant and all of the doors in this mall, um, they would lock all of them from the outside at a certain, like, at nine or whenever, when, when the mall closed. And there was, they were locked from the inside and outside, but then there was one door that was only locked from the outside, but the inside was unlocked so people could leave when they closed up their shops. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there, and I'm drawing or doing something, probably drawing at the time, and I hear someone come up and just, like, just violently start shaking that last door that should be unlocked from the inside. And I'm like, like really shaking it like life and death situation. People don't like doors around you is what I'm hearing. (laughs) And so I got up and went to go like, you know, maybe my idea, my thought was someone saw that I was in there And it was, like, another employee or someone, one of the business owners that I would know, because I spent so much time in the mall, that it was someone who just, like, needed to come in and forgot something at their restaurant or whatever. And so I get up, and I get about halfway down to the door, because I couldn't see anything from where I was. And there's no one there. But the door's still shaking, but there's no one there. And I'm like, "Mm, I'm going to go sit back down. I'm actually going to go in Dad's restaurant. 
mm-hmm. and like chill in there while he's doing paperwork because fuck that. Um, also one time at the same mall, same entrance, um, I was waiting for my, I was, I had been working for my dad one Sunday probably, and I was waiting for my mom to come pick me up after I was done, and I was sort of just like leaning on one of the like, um, rails or posts or whatever, and I got that like cold chill sensation and I, mm. I normally get it when there's like someone behind me that I'm not necessarily expecting them to be there mm-hmm. and so I'm thinking okay it's a friend of mine or someone that knows me who's trying to sneak up on me because there was like a little garden behind me in that space and so I go and I turn around to like try to catch them and be like haha you're not gonna spook me and there's no one there which isn't entirely unusual for me to have a cold chill and not have anyone behind me. And so as I'm turning my head back around, I see in the door, the reflection of the door, that there is someone behind me, but there's no one physically behind me. And so then I was like, I'm going to go wait inside now. Because <laughs> I'm not fucking around with this. You notice that a lot of times in my family, the answer to whatever spooky thing is happening is, uh, I'm going to go to bed. I'm going to go away from this and not address it at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so then a few years later, my mom opened up a candy store in a little shopping center in town. And then the candy store didn't do as well as we had hoped. And so she converted it into a like pet supply store. Sold pet food, toys, clothes, collars, all that kind of stuff. Did not actually sell pets. Um, But we did work with local shelters to foster dogs. And then we had cats in uh, like a rolling cage thing Mm -hmm. where each cat kind of had their own floor in it separate from the other cats. And they were from the SPCA, and we would adopt help adopt the cats out so they could take more cats into their shelter because we had cats here. And, I mean, Mom, I don't remember how many animals Mom helped facilitate the adoption of. Oh, well over 100, I think closer to two or three in the time that she had this shop open. And um, we... Separately, my mother, myself, and I, my mother, myself, and I, separately, my mother, myself, and our employee, (laughs) um, all would see this cat running around our shop. And all of us, separately, completely separately, thought, oh no, one of the cats from this cage has gotten out. We have to go find them. Because, you know, we don't want them getting out of the shop or getting hurt or getting stuck in something. And so we're, like, going and trying to find this cat and then going to the cage and being like, okay, there are three cats in there. We had three cats. So there's not one missing. So spirit cat. (laughs) And, yeah, all three of us on different multiple occasions saw the spirit of a cat in our shop that we had never seen when it was a candy shop. We only saw it when it was a pet store. 
so I think I like to joke that I think the cat saw or like recognized okay this is a store that is catering to cats so I'm gonna come chill here because they like cats (laughs) they got all this food they got all these toys they have all these other cats like this is the place to be for me as a cat and we just like inherited a ghost cat somehow (laughs) you uh you think it was a yokai Oh, maybe. Then my grandmother um, got very sick several years later, and uh, she had cancer. And very similarly, she was on hospice care, and she had been moved into my parents' home. And she was in the living room of their home, where she could be, like, with the family and everything. And mom just felt the knee just woke up she was she had started sleeping in the living room with my grandmother um in a chair because she she knew like we all knew that it was days if not hours before my grandmother would be passing and so she wanted to be there to you know support in case anything happened and um my mom woke up from a dead sleep and said she couldn't understand why she woke up. She just knew she needed to. Mm. And so she looked over at my grandmother, who's laying in the hospice bed, and sees three male figures standing staggered from my grandmother's bed. Um, one right next to her bed, one halfway back, and then one all the way by the, the living room door. And my mom said without any hesitation in her mind, she knew exactly who those men were. It was my Uncle Roger, who had my grandmother's son, who had passed away months before my grandmother did. And then it was her second husband, Fred, behind him. And then at the door was her father, uh, my grandpa, Carl. And she said there was zero hesitation. She knew exactly who those men were. And then she knew exactly why they were there. And my grandmother had passed away hours later. Um, So they they came to get grandma and help her. Uh, And then, you know, mom obviously took some time... uh, away from the business while my grandmother had been so ill and was basically on hospice. And then we finally, you know, and then taken some time after the passing to help get all of her affairs sorted and deal with it too, you know, because while, while my grandmother and my mom had a troubled relationship, they Mm -hmm. had reconciled quite a bit. Um, in my grandmother's later years and so they were really close and so she took some time and you know when we got back into the swing of things and we went to work again um, we got in there's a ton of messages on my mom's phone at work and so I'm sitting there mom's hearing wasn't very good so I'm sitting there listening to the messages 
because, you know, I can hear them and then relay numbers and information and everything to mom and then she can handle it however she needs to. And I get to the last message that on the machine and it's just static. And then I hear my grandmother's voice say Carla. And then there's more static. And then it hangs up. And the message was from like minutes after my grandmother passed away. Hmm. And I I don't think I ever told mom about it. I don't remember if I don't think I did because I was worried that it would be too much for her. Yeah, that it would be more upsetting um, than it would be comforting. Yeah. Yeah. But she didn't sound like distressed or anything. It was just like she sounded almost confused like, like oh. Carla with a question mark. Yeah. And and then just static again and then hung up. I had a very vivid dream, and I haven't, I don't think I've told anybody about this, so what a good place to put it. Wow, I feel super special, except for that you're sharing it with literally everybody listening as well. Well, but you're hearing it first. The um, first. So, <laughs> you and Dari. So, my, my Uncle Alan passed away, uh, I think it's two years ago. I think he passed away about two years ago now. And uh, I don't know if any of my relatives listen to this. So if you do, um, I don't know, trigger warning. (laughs) But I had a dream where I was in a house. I don't specific. I have a lot of really vivid dreams where I dream about really just insane houses that I've never lived in, that I've never seen, and just really vivid, really realistic, amazing houses. So I'm in this house, and I'm, like, at a funeral or something. Like, it's something somber is happening. And I don't know why I'm there. Nothing makes sense as so I'm there. I don't recognize any of the people that are there. And then I get spun around really quickly and it's my Uncle Alan and he has like this panicked look on his face. And he says something to the effect of like like I'm not ready to go or I wasn't ready to go or I didn't want to go. And I remember looking at him and just being like, it's okay. Like, your family is okay. Everyone is fine. You can let go. They will be okay. And then it was just like a look of relief hit his face. And then I just woke up crying. Wow. It was just very intense. Very out of nowhere, too. Because it at this point, it had been a few months since he had passed away. Mm-hmm. And so, like, it wasn't like it was, like, the weekend or something, you know, the day I found out I had the stream. It was months later. And so, you know, to have such... And I hadn't dreamed about him since. Like, I hadn't had any dreams or feelings other than, like, the obvious sadness and everything of his passing. But... Like, I hadn't really thought about it or dreamed about him or anything like that. And then just that, like, look of just fear on his face. 
and, you know, just needing to hear someone say, like, no, your family is okay. Like, I've, I've talked to them. They're going to make it. They're going to be fine. You did everything that you needed to do. Now, you know, let go. Like, be free. Go do whatever mm-hmm. you need to do now. And then it was just, like, instant relief on his face. Like, that's all he needed to hear was to hear someone say, I've talked to them, they're safe. And then that's all. That's all he needed. Yeah, I had, um, I've had dreams with my dad in them, for sure. Um, For some reason, I always, like, picture birds in these dreams. Jackson, I'm just starting to talk again. You couldn't have done this the entire fucking time. <laughs> well, so when, um, one of the things, when, um, when I was living with AJ and, uh, we lived with his family while his mom was sick, she would tell me, like, her husband Jeff, when he first passed away, they would notice this cat bird that would come and like fuck around in their yard. And so whenever he would visit, Kathy would say, okay, Jeff, I see you there, you know? And so do you have anything like a personification of somebody like visiting you? Um, like, do you have any like other than dreams? Not, Directly. Um, my my grandmother was, like, we've always kind of associated my grandmother with cardinals. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and, like, any time, like, there, there are people that I will instantly, like, think of and recall when I see, like, my uncle and owls or dragons, my mom and poodles, my grandmother and cardinals or hummingbirds. But, like, it's not like a... I've never felt like, oh, that's Grandma coming to check on me or anything like that before, no. Well, I only ask because, like, whenever I have my dad in a dream, and I don't know why, because I, I don't remember them very vividly, like, the ones that I've had in the past. When I have a dream, I'm typically a lucid dreamer, so, like... I can conduct what happens in my dreams as it's happening. It's like, I'm in a scary dream and I go, that's the nope zone. <laughs> and I will yeah. make my dream self walk away from that situation. Like Sometimes I am. I am almost constantly lucid dreaming. I cannot remember a time when I... I cannot recall the last time I had a dream that I was not in control of. Um... So, like, when I have dreams with my dad, it's like, I, I remember feeling very moved by them, but I don't remember a lot of what happens. Um, but I can remember my grandmother sent me a box as she was, my dad was very sick um, before he passed away. He, ha- he was a diabetic um, and he had a really difficult time um, taking care of himself. And I think... I was only nine when he passed away, so I I didn't get to know him well as an adult person, but with the separation from my mom and 
everything else. He had had two strokes by the time he was 37. Like, wow. Yeah, he was not. That's rough. Yeah. I mean, and he was functional. He wasn't like the strokes didn't make him. Yeah. He was able to talk and move and he didn't have. But they were still strokes. So, um, but he had a difficult time taking care of himself. And I think a lot of that stemmed from depression, um, especially with the, yeah. the separation. And from what I have understood, um, it was, uh, I was basically his world. And with the custody battle, it was hard on him. Yeah. Uh, so I was nine years old and didn't know that and still feel guilty about it as an adult, even though my therapist says that I'm being fucking ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, my grandmother was going through his things, uh, because he lived and she had like a mother-in-law suite attached to her house. Yeah. So he lived up there and, um, when she was going through his things, she put everything kind of away from me until I was an adult and could appreciate things. Yeah. So a couple of years ago, she sent me a box. And I was just kind of going through. He had like a medicine bag. As I said, he was really into Iroquois um, stuff. He had a lot of native like figurines and that sort of thing. So as... I'm going through these things. I pick up a necklace and it's like just a native like beaded necklace with like this, the five different strings of beads that are like a choker. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when I touched it, it was like energy went up my arm and just made me sob uncontrollably. It was like my dad was just reaching out to me from this necklace and like, zap, I'm here. You got me. All of me is in here. And now I don't believe that he is actually like stuck in a necklace or anything. But I feel like <laughs> yeah. there's, there are things, I remember him wearing that necklace constantly. And there are things that I think maybe less so as our culture is becoming more materialistic, but I feel like there are things that we can give our energy to that will, you know, resonate with people. Yeah. Um, I have a ring from AJ's mom that I don't, yeah, I don't like to wear it because I'm afraid to lose it, but that's like, that was her engagement ring or an anniversary ring from, um, his dad to her and and it was given to me and it's always been like the thing that I keep in a secret spot on my in my jewelry space but I don't wear very often and I think part of that is me going I don't know that I could carry those feelings around with me all day yeah as well as me not wanting to lose the the ring yeah like um, the fear of losing the ring is almost secondary or is maybe how like you're rationalizing part my, of why you don't my grief it. of her yeah yeah um 
But yeah, the the other like AJ likes to take me into old cemeteries because he's like, ah, ah, you got anything? <laughs> I'm a fucking metal <laughs> detector of spirits. <laughs> but that's like one really like super uh like vivid thing I can remember. I think of him every time Pink Floyd comes on the radio because like a lot of people deal with pain. I remember my dad smoking a lot of weed. <laughs> and hey, he was, if it works, he was it works. sick and he was in pain. He had his leg amputated. I can only imagine what that feels like. And I, you know, I don't put any blame on anybody for that. Um, but I remember him listening to a lot of Pink Floyd and he really liked the old uh, Moby Dick movie. So, like, whenever I think about Moby Dick, I always think of my dad, too. <laughs> the, uh, my babysitter that I was telling you about earlier, Nancy, who took me to church, uh, her husband, Bill, and my dad used to call each other Ahab and Starbuck. <laughs> but, yeah, it's like dealing with death is a tough situation, and it's interesting um, to examine rationale just like we were talking about with the gods in uh, the episode from last week like how we as humans will rationalize things that we don't understand Um, and in their case it's giving supernatural properties to something that might just be rain and in my case it's you know did I really see AJ's dad? I don't know. That would make sense because what if it's this? Like, it just is, uh, like, ghosts and things are kind of fascinating to me. And I would really be interested in uh, digging deeper into that sensitivity. I've done, like, cards for people and stuff, tarot cards. And mm. from what I have been told my readings are fairly accurate. So I don't I, know that that's a, a symptom of the sensitivity or if it's luck, but. I did a reading for a former roommate of mine when she was going through a bunch of like turmoil with her then boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And like my, the, the cards were like a hundred percent, like creepy accurate. And she yeah. was just like, are you a witch? <laughs> <laughs> and you were like, yes. <laughs> I was say, I'm actually looking more into that now. I'm starting to, you know, kissing 30, starting to try to find some actual faith. And not that I'm going to be like a practicing witch and put hexes on people, but, you know, be nice to me or else. <laughs> but I, I feel like you... We were talking earlier and saying that um, it feels like as you get older, like part of whatever you could feel is shutting down or you're less sensitive, you're less open to it. Well, I just definitely believe that as you become more jaded, like children are far more open to that sort of thing. Yeah. When adults get older and they, you know, stop believing in Santa and things like that, some of that magic is lost to everybody, I think. Yeah, and I, I think that that's very true. Like, I, I have felt that 
myself going from like consistently feeling and seeing things to infre- very infrequently having actual like seeing things or witnessing things um mine's really come down to feeling th- like i feel things mm-hmm. i haven't seen anything outside of dreams in a very long time but i'll go places that are like i just feel charged with energy yes. um like when i went to the memorial of the salem witch trials it felt heavy like i was just like weight bearing down on me of everything like and i didn't feel like i felt sad but i wasn't crying but like it was it was somber but it was such an odd feeling that i haven't experienced somewhere else before i don't think mm-hmm. but i remember just wanting to stand i think i ended up having to like step out and as soon as i stepped over the threshold of the memorial i was fine mm-hmm. but when i was in there it was just so heavy and the weight was just so much that I just wanted to start crying. Like, not even about anything. Just, I felt mm-hmm. like I needed to just start crying. And uh, we went to San Diego recently and we went to the Whaley House, which is supposedly, you know, one of the most haunted houses in the United States. And it was super interesting. It was a nice little museum. We went during the day, so that could be part of, like, we didn't see anything or anything like that. But uh, there were a couple of rooms where I really felt uncomfortable in. Um, And one of them is there's a... So the Whaley House is, like, San Diego's first, like, general store courthouse and theater all in one and it also housed the Whaley family of like a couple of kids and the husband and wife they just lived there ran the store the courtroom and the theater all separately and then for a long time there were the like the gallows were on property basically Mm. and this theater so where the where the gallows were is closed off and it's like a parlor room they converted the area into an addition and made it a parlor room because the man who bought the house didn't believe that it was haunted and it was such a good deal on the property that he was like yeah i don't believe in it fuck you guys and like built an addition on the house onto it and um it was like a parlor room but above the parlor room is the theater so you can't Mm. go into the parlor room but you can go into the theater and the theater had that same oppressive weight and i didn't know that the theater room was above where the gallows were until we were on the first floor again and we were getting ready to leave and the woman said like oh yeah in this parlor room is where the original gallows stood and the reason why they don't let people in there is because a lot of the antiques that are in there are actually antiques from the time. And so rather than letting people, you know, risk letting people mess with them or do anything, they've just got it like plexiglassed off at the doorway. So you can take pictures and everything through the plexiglass, 
but you can't actually go into the room. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I didn't know in the theater that the gallows had been below it, or probably the like top of the gallows would have been in that room, and you know, or where that room was. And so I just felt like just uncomfortable yeah in the theater room the whole time I was in there and I was like taking pictures and I was like part of me really wants to stay because I want to see what this feeling is but then the other part of me is like no go leave like this isn't go away like this isn't where you want to be this is a nope zone and but like you know so it's that struggle of like but if I stay maybe I'll see something it's like yes but also if I stay I might see something (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just think, I just think it's super interesting, like, we've been friends for how long, and I didn't know all that about you. I feel like I learned something new today. I feel like I learned a lot of new stuff about you, too. We're gonna go to Colonial Williamsburg when you, when you come visit, and we're gonna, we're gonna go to the old church and graveyard, and we're gonna get spooked. Yes, we please. Can, I haven't been like, since I was, like, in a stroller. I barely there's remember There's, like, it. um, they do ghost tours. Maybe we'll do one of those. Oh, that would be fun. Then we'll take yeah, the pictures for, house, the, for the group. The Whaley House does, like, night tours, but we mm-hmm. weren't there. Like, all of the nights we were spending with Omid and Jen and my family. Oh, got the hiccups there. So, we wouldn't have been able to go back at night to see it anyway, but... Right. It was cool while we were there. Um... But yeah, I'm definitely down for Colonial Williamsburg because I haven't been, like I said, I was in a stroller. I was little. The only thing I remember was that uh, a little boy came up and pulled my hair because he thought I was wearing a wig. What a dick. Because I had had so much hair when I was really little, like full head of hair, like ponytail length hair when I was born. Wow. And uh, yeah. And so this, yeah, this little boy just thought I was wearing a wig and my mom was like, no, that's her hair. And he didn't believe her and just like grabbed a handful of my hair and pulled. And I'm like in a stroller. Like I was like two or three. I was like little. (laughs) That's the only thing I remember is that and like all of the like cobblestone brick road stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's all. And, And there was one restaurant I remember because it was like an oyster restaurant or something. And I thought it was disgusting. And like, that's it. I sure those three things, like, all very randomly placed in my memory of yeah. being in that area. And that's it. Like, I don't remember anything else about it. Well, that was certainly a fascinating story. <laughs> Put it right up there with the haunted house. Oh, the oyster yeah. restaurant it's, was disgusting. Yeah, yeah, the gross oyster restaurant. <laughs> I mean, um, it wasn't gross because it was gross. It was gross because I didn't understand oysters. I like, like oysters. That was. I I tried them for the first time, like at least as an adult. I don't know if I've ever had them before. If I did, it was when I was really little and don't remember it. Maybe I like mm-hmm. put the memory out of my head. You know, like. <laughs> But uh, when we went out to California this time, we 
I tried an oyster for the first time. And it wasn't bad. It wasn't my favorite. I don't think that I would, like, I would go out of my way to eat them. I would a plate full of them. But if, like, somebody had a plate of them and offered me one, I would fucking eat one. Or three. <laughs> anyway, shall we but wrap it up? We were, we were at a... We were at a fancy sushi restaurant, so they were like, fancy oh. sushi oyster. I mean, it was okay. good. Like yeah, I, like I was... you said, too, I just don't think I would go out of my way to eat them. Like, there's a place here that if you do come visit, we'll want to go to, and it's called Harpoon Larry's, because we live in, right next to the ocean, there's so much good seafood around here. Yeah. And they have an oyster bar, and so I would order a plate for the table, not for me specifically. You know, like that sort yeah. of thing. Because AJ and I can eat some, we put a little, you got the salt water that's in it, you put a little lemon juice, and maybe a little dab of hot sauce, and that's, like, perfect. <laughs> that's how I like to eat my oysters. <laughs> you can put away oysters, I'll put away chicken wings. I mean, I can put away chicken wings, too. <laughs> that will definitely be a night, because there's a, a Korean slash chicken wing place that Clay That loves. sounds amazing. And so it's like they have some Korean food and then they have chicken wings with like Korean barbecue sauce. Yeah. So that's like, I don't think I told you about it, but like on a food tangent, since we're talking about that right now, um, we went to one of the places in San Diego. It's called The Joint. Mm -hmm. And they had the weirdest menu of food. Like, you know, normally when you go to a restaurant, that's got like a diner and it's just got like a wide variety of like we've got burgers we've got breakfast and we've got spaghetti and you're like at least one of these things is going to be bad Mm -hmm. because it's like it's so different it's normally the spaghetti i was gonna say it's the spaghetti every time (laughs) but it was it's like that like you go and it's like you've got chicken wings and burgers and tacos and a5 wagyu steak and sushi (laughs) and yeah and all of it was amazing like it's the only place i've been that has like that sort of just a bonkers menu and everything was good we did not get one thing that we were like eh, i could do without that Everything we got, we were like, this is the best thing I've ever eaten. And then we would eat something else, and we'd be like, this is the this best, is the thing, best thing I've ever eaten. eaten. <laughs> I love it. Except except when we got to the A5 Wagyu, and then we were both like, this is the best thing, literally, that we've ever eaten. And we will probably ever eat in our lives. So. But, wow. yeah, I'm ready to wrap up if you are. All right. Uh-huh. And then we so it's me. Doctor, I don't care. <laughs> well thank you for joining us today as we discussed the strange and unusual in our own worlds we hope that this has inspired you to reach out to us with your own experiences we want to hear your stories your questions your feedback send us an email at strangeunusualpodcast at gmail.com if you are going to send us a story we just ask that you put listener story in the subject line so that we can sort through the emails that we get a little more easily and make sure that you get uh, represented on the podcast. Yeah. Have you ever lived in a haunted house? Do you know someone who lived in a haunted house? Have you been to the Whaley house and have actual pictures of being haunted? Did you go to the Lizzie Borden 
B and B and bed and breakfast. Yeah. Did Lizzie Borden speak to you? Did she reach out and tell you who really killed her parents? I want to know. You can also find us on Instagram at strange underscore unusual underscore podcast or our personal accounts, Roya Rampage, R-O-Y-A and Calamity Casey, C-A-S-E-Y, where we post the weird shit in our personal lives. You can also find us on Twitter now at underscore strange unusual and at Calamity Casey and at Roya Rampage, and you can be impressed and disappointed by the lack of amount of time that I am on Twitter. Um, you can also mm-hmm. now find us on Facebook if you just search for the Strange and Unusual podcast. Um, if we're on several different podcasts now, we've been using Anchor, as I'm sure you've heard probably the beginning at least of the ad at the end. And if we're not on a venue that you like to use or you would like to see us somewhere else, let us know or let uh, let Anchor know and try to get us onto other venues, try to get the word out about us if at all possible. And if you're on a venue of listening that will allow you to leave a five uh, leave a review or a rating, if you can do that, we'd really appreciate it. And uh, get a little shout out on uh, on the podcast if you leave us a five star review. And you might have to slip into our DMs and uh, let us know that you have done so, so we know to go look for it. Because I, you know, we we're not getting notified of it. So, don't we have somebody to shout out to? Yeah, we do. I'm actually getting it pulled up now. Mm-hmm. Even though she didn't tell me, and this is kind of a cop out, um, because our first review is from my fiance Jari. Um, she posted on the 11th of December, informative and entertaining, and thankfully left a five star, which I appreciate. <laughs> Yeah, they're both she, so very hilarious. If I love she didn't leave a five star, what would you do? I can't wait to hear more from them. I would disown her. Break up instantly. Yeah, instant divorce. Get married just to divorce her mm-hmm. immediately after. I've threatened it before. She I want to marry. I've told her. Yeah, I've told her in public places. Like she's made a really bad pun, and I'm like, I'm gonna marry you. Just to divorce you. Oh, I love a good pun. She can be my wife. <laughs> Come be your sister wives. Yes, please. <laughs> but anyway, so going in and leaving us a five star rating is super appreciated. Leaving us a review is even more appreciated. It helps us with the algorithms of the different podcasts and to start getting more listenership where we can put out more content and spend more time doing this because we're both enjoying it a lot and we want to hear from you guys if you guys have an idea of something we could be doing better or something that we could improve upon or even just telling us how awesome amazing and how much you love us go ahead send us an email let us know you know if there's something that we can improve upon we definitely want to know where we can make this podcast as good as it can be yeah, and, you know, correct us if you hear us say something wrong, because I'm sure Only I pronounced Only correct a lot Casey. of things wrong. I mean, fine then. Don't correct if you me. don't want to get better at life. 
I don't. I've improved enough. That's fair. You're pretty perfect. Aw, oh, thanks. Mm-hmm. I'm not. Don't let her lie to you. Um, but that is all I've got. I feel like I've talked everybody's ear off about all my family's weird shit, so. Yeah, you did. I'm just kidding, it was great. (laughs) Yeah, we both learned a lot about one another, and I know that if we learned a lot about one another, that means that our listeners learned a fuck ton about us. So (laughs) there's that, too. Oh, man. A, a metric fuck ton. A metric fuck ton. So that it's... Yeah, it makes more sense divisible by tens. Alright, well, I hope you all have a <laughs> lovely day. And uh, I hope so as well. I'm gonna go eat a sandwich <laughs> so, now. We're so bad at ending these. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. we should probably... And so next uh, next week's episode, we're going to be going to Colombia, South America, um, and then we're going to be continuing on around with our regularly scheduled programming of going to countries and talking about true crimes, myths, and monsters in those countries. So we should be back on our normal shit <laughs> for a while after these couple episodes. So thank you so much for listening. I hope that you enjoyed it. And I hope that we get some listener episodes or listener stories because we really want to hear about some of your experiences because I know if you're listening to this podcast, you've had some kind of experience. Mm -hmm. Tell us Mm -hmm. about it. We went It can be true crime. It doesn't have to be paranormal. You, you're six degrees of separation from Jeffrey Dahmer. I want to know. Talk to us about it. Your severed penis. I want to know. <sighs> yeah, Casey wants to know about all the severed penises. We know. We know. Look, I was just really disappointed that I didn't get to talk about any severed penises in the Gods episode. Yet. But I did get to talk about the Dagda and how his giant penis dragged on the ground. So there's that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So on that note. (laughs) Are we going to do it?